The Word of God awaits us. John chapter 7. Spent some time in that chapter last week and really kind of took us to the end, but there is one statement in John chapter 7 that I think deserves, well actually there's many statements that would deserve more time spent in them, but there's one that I would like to spend more time in this morning. And it's John chapter 7, beginning in verse 37. It says, On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart, or some translations say his innermost being, or his belly, the very depth of who you are, will flow rivers of living water. I always appreciate the Bible offering a little bit of commentary after some of these statements. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet, the Spirit had not yet been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. Now, this is an interesting picture here that Jesus mentions about the impact, the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Now, you know, I kind of wonder there, if you, if, if you and I were just to paint a word picture of the ministry of the Holy Spirit, I don't know, maybe give the ministry of the Holy Spirit a movie title. You know, what, what, would you, what would you come up with for a movie title for the ministry of the Holy Spirit? You know, it's a beautiful life. Apocalypse now. Gone with the wind. <laughs> you know, pneuma, wind, you know. Stay with me there, will you? I wonder, you know, what we would say is the, the picture that depicts the ministry of the Holy Spirit. You know, this verse, maybe a river runs through it from this verse. Um, Jesus paints a word picture here. It's like he brings some information to bear on, hey, what are you expecting? When the Holy Spirit's ministry comes, first he clarifies that, you know what, you guys haven't yet experienced the ministry of the Holy Spirit. He makes that clear. So that there's, there's coming a point here, but you don't know it yet. But when the ministry of the Spirit comes, oh, what's it going to be like? It's going to be like a mighty rushing river. Now, that's a rich picture there. Not going to be like a little shower. It's not a trickle. It's not a creek. It's a mighty river that Jesus paints. And one of the things I love, and you see this especially in the Gospel of John. You can kind of turn to a couple places with me here. You see in John, John captures Jesus enamoring passion, anticipation of the day when the Spirit's going to come. It, it's, it's as though in the Godhead you see this romance of the Godhead where the Godhead so appreciates the ministry that is within each of the persons of the Godhead. The Father and how He relates to the Son, the Son to the Father, the Son here to the Spirit. Where Jesus anticipates a day. Now here you have the Son of God who's come to earth God is present with man, embodied in a man. So here's the presence of God walking upon the earth. Jesus is ministering to people. He's disrupting the kingdom of darkness. He's bringing wisdom to people's lives. He's having an incredible impact on the whole world, as we said last week. When this Feast of Tabernacles takes place and people come from hundreds of miles to gather thousands of people 
from all over the world are in Jerusalem, and the buzz is about one man. Well, we know behind the scenes the buzz is about that one man because that one man is God in that man. He's the presence of God upon earth. Of course, he's going to draw some attention. But what's interesting, Jesus, amidst all of that activity and impact, it's like he is running a race and he keeps talking about the one he's going to pass the baton to. Because he is going to pass the baton. His time of ministry upon the earth is a very small one. And he's going to pass the baton to the Holy Spirit. And he anticipates this. Look in John chapter 14. Just skip around in John a moment because John really captures this so well. John 14, verse 12. Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I'm going to the Father. Now, that, that verse, if you listen to the language in that verse, don't you hear what the verse we just read in John chapter 7? He's going to the Father. See, the, the Spirit had not yet been given because Jesus had not yet been glorified. See, when Jesus goes to the Father, it's in his glorification that he goes. So he said, what's going to happen when I go to the Father is that I'm going to give the Spirit. The Father is going to send the Holy Spirit to you in that moment. And Jesus begins to highlight that ministry. But he said that ministry is going to be like a mighty, rushing river. And it's going to be so powerful. You know, the works that I did, you're going to do those works and greater works than these. So he anticipated something incredible about to take place. Look in verse 15 of chapter 14. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells, listen, with you and will be in you. This is a a whole new day is coming for the age of the Spirit's that is unfamiliar to man, except in very limited cases. Something is about to break out. Jesus knows it's coming. Look in verse 25 of chapter 14. These things I have spoken to you while I'm still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Boy, that is such a powerful verse. I don't, think, I don't think we realize it because we're, we're reading the word of God. We're reading the sayings of Jesus. We're encountering revelation from God. And, and almost like Jesus was aware of this. He was throwing out information, truth after truth after truth after truth. But it's almost like he knew that the, you know, the computers weren't plugged in. It's like, you, you guys don't quite have the power to get this yet, but you will. I'm throwing out all this information, but there's coming a day when the Holy Spirit, he's not just going to be with you like he's with you right now. He's going to be in you. And when he's in you, he's going to take all this stuff that I've said to you, and he's going to do something amazing with it. He anticipated this day. Look in John chapter 16, verse 7. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. Understand, you've been hanging out with Jesus for three years. You've watched the whole world get turned upside down. People's lives have been amazingly changed. The power of God's come. And Jesus said, you know what? It's really better if I go away. I mean, you've got to be scratching your head on this one. 
For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Listen, if you ask most people, and this is a tragedy of the church, and what I want to highlight here when we get into this message a little bit more. If you ask most people today, wouldn't you rather have Jesus right here today, walking around in his body, ministering in this pulpit, leading the next Alpha meeting, having dinner at your house with your friends and family coming over? I mean, wouldn't you rather have Jesus there? See, I think we'd trade the Holy Spirit for Jesus in a moment. But yet Jesus wouldn't let us because he says it's better. It's better that I go away. The arrangement of the Spirit of God living in you is a better deal than me staying here. I don't know if we really believe that, but it is what Jesus said. Verse 13 of chapter 16. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me. For he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Look now, now turn back from John into the end of Luke, chapter 24. This is Jesus' mood. And remember, all those passages, John 14, John 16, that's the last night that Jesus is together with his disciples. And what does Jesus want to talk to them about on the last night that they're together? He wants to highlight the day of the Spirit is coming. He is so anticipating this. Luke chapter 24, verse 45, says, Then he opened their minds to understand the Scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. And that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning with Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Now, you understand, this is post-cross, post-resurrection. There's this strange little thing here in the Bible when you watch how Jesus anticipated the day of the Spirit. He is on the cross. Remember the words that he utters from the cross. It is finished. Well, what's interesting here is when you and I stand before God and we draw our attention, we worship God and we appreciate God and we become aware of God and his dealings. It is finished. But yet when Jesus is finished on the cross, he's still pointing. I find this very, very interesting. I find that before the cross, Jesus is pointing to the day the Spirit's going to come. I find that after the cross, Jesus is pointing to the day the Spirit's going to come. I find all the way back in the beginning of the Gospel of John, remember when when John the Baptist encounters Jesus Christ and he says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And then there's a little bit of other, other thought, and then a few verses later he says, He is the one who will baptize in the Holy Spirit. Even now, isn't it just enough? He's going to come take away our sins. He's going to be God's divine substitute. All the punishment that was due us is going to be visited on Jesus Christ and we're going to be forgiven and accepted before God forever. It is finished. But what's strange is when Jesus says it is finished, it's almost like a starting gun went off. It is finished. And he anticipated the day now that something could happen. See, What was God's intention couldn't happen without the cross. 
But dare I say this? The cross, we, all, we always know this, the cross was a means to something. Do you understand the cross wasn't an end in itself? The cross was a means to something. It was a means to an end. Now, we all understand it was a means to the forgiveness of our sins. Great. That's so true. And if that were all it was, we'd have a lot to sing about and a lot to rejoice in every day of our lives forever. But you notice that Jesus points to something else over and over and over again. And it's not just the forgiveness of our sins, as incredible as that is. Jesus points to the day when the presence of God will return to the heart of man. That apparently was a big deal to him. You see how often he mentions it? I'm leaving out some verses here. He spoke of this day like it meant so much to him that there come a day when the Holy Spirit would once again fill the temples of men. Remember all the rich pictures in the Old Testament? I mean, they're just, they're billboards on the highway. When you're riding through the pages of the Old Testament, you're, you know, I don't know if you've ever, you know, if you've been to Orlando or something, you know, when you get about 80 miles out, there's like, um, visitor center, free tickets to Disney. I mean, just, just, just one thing, I, what's coming up is, is, that's what the Old Testament is. It is an advertisement of what's coming. So the whole temple system with all its elaborateness, all the sacrificing of animals, all the forgiveness that's associated with all the blood being shed. It's, it's, a, it's a signpost. It points to the day that Christ will come and do that. Well, do you remember it was the presence of God that dwelt in the tabernacle and in the temple. That's where you had to go find God. He was there. But apparently it's a big deal to God that his presence not just be held in some building somewhere, but that it be in the buildings of men Jesus held that up so high that that's what he over and over and over again pointed to. So when we find Jesus making these statements like, All you who thirst, come to me and drink. And out of your innermost being will flow rivers of living water. This is a passionate subject for the Son of God. Now, what I want to ask us about here is because this is Jesus giving away his theology of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. The ministry of the Holy Spirit is a big deal to the Son of God. Now, I want to ask us today about our theology of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Where are we in that? What do we believe about that? If I were to tell you today, guys, I'm I'm reading the Bible and I find this over and over and over again. I want you to know it. God wants to fill you with the Holy Spirit. Now, if you've read the Bible much at all, you know the Bible says that. You know it's God's passion and his desire. Now you get a little sense this morning about the passion of Jesus Christ regarding that issue. But if I tell you God wants to fill you with his Holy Spirit, where do you go with that? See, you have to assign meaning to that in your mind. You have to draw from some pool of information about, okay, well, what do I expect that to look like? I mean, really, you could go anywhere with that. I mean, I'm looking around here. There's folks that have been in this church for 20 years, 30 years. There's some people who have been in here for 30 days. I don't know where all y'all are going with that. God wants to fill you with the Holy Spirit. And your mind's going, wow, I mean, I can I like fly around the room like Peter Pan? I mean, is that what will happen? I mean, I don't, I've seen Superman. I've seen a lot of movies. So can I do that? Will I have powers? Can I shoot rays out of my hands? And, you know, what are you thinking is going to happen? Oh, I don't think anything will happen. I just, I don't know. I just, I don't know. Just be the same, I guess. I don't know. Well, you have some expectations here. Can I, can I tell you, whatever you expect is a bit of a boundary around whatever you're going to experience. 
And Jesus kind of blows the boundary out here a little bit. Out of your innermost being are going to flow rivers of living water like you've never experienced. You guys, the Spirit's only been with you. He's not been in you. You don't even know what's about to happen. So this is an anticipation of the Son of God that's huge. But what do we anticipate in our theology of the Holy Spirit? Listen, I put a note in the outline about the Great Awakening. Much of a historian, the 1700s, 1730s, and then leading into 1740 to 1742 was a period of, of great revival in the American colonies. It was, a, it was a move of the Spirit of God that transformed the colonies. And it was led by men like George Whitfield. George Whitfield led revivals in England. He came over to America for about a year and a half and, and speak, uh, spoke and preached up and down the eastern seaboard. And the impact was incredible. Spirit of God was falling. Jonathan Edwards preached perhaps the most famous sermon that uh, has been preached in, in American soil, sinners in the hands of an angry God. And the Spirit of God fell. Jonathan Edwards was known to just read his sermons. He would not be nearly as animated as anything you see up here. He would have been reading his sermons. And if you've ever read Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God... The words don't give away what happened. It's clear, it's biblical. Jonathan Edwards was an incredible thinker, probably the best theologian that the Americans can lay hold of. But his message arrested people and turned their lives upside down. Why? Because of the words? Because of his presentation? No, because the Spirit of God came and did something in those meetings. And Northampton began to be an epicenter for a revival that spread out. And there was an incredible move of the Spirit. Now, with the move of the Spirit came activity. And God wants to fill you with the Holy Spirit. Well, what on earth does that mean? Well, God filled these meetings and people's lives were affected by the coming of the Holy Spirit into their lives. Well, what happened? Well, there was this profound sense of conviction in people's lives that visited them. These were people who were spending most of their time and their money hanging out in taverns. They said, you know, the taverns got shut down. People went from, they emptied the taverns and filled the churches. And people needed to go hang out at the pastor's home just to to deal with the sense of conviction that was on their lives. Listen, do you expect that? How many many of you come to church? I'm scared about this in the body of Christ. How many come to church and if, if if the preacher gets cross haired with you, you think he did something wrong? Might that be the Holy Spirit's conviction of putting his hand on an issue in your life? Like, yeah, I knew you were going to pick on that. I just knew it. Well, why is that such an issue to you? Well, because I'm resisting God and I don't want to do that. And you brought it up and dared to make me feel bad about it. I didn't know that was going on in your life. But the Holy Spirit uses words and he invades your space and conviction comes. Well, these guys got convicted and their lives begin to change. There was, there was this buzz around town. People begin to talk about God. They begin to long for the Bible. It was said back then that even the appearance of a Bible brought smiles to people's faces. There was a sense of joy and anticipation. There was exuberance. Their meetings began to be filled with song. People got loud. There was manifestations of the Spirit that took place when people would gather together and they would pray. And some of them were very unusual. Some of them were very awkward. Some of them just changed lives and affected lives. Now, 
Here is a revival that's really being led by some incredibly solid men. You visit George Whitfield and Jonathan Edwards, you will not find more respected theological thinkers and leaders in the history of the body of Christ. But the Spirit has come. Now listen, when the Spirit came, there were some people who questioned. I don't know if this is the Spirit. Well, why would you be questioning that? Because this doesn't fit my expectations. I don't, I don't know about this. There's one particular man named Charles Chauncey. In your outline there, Sam Storms records his thoughts. It says, Chauncey was especially offended by what he perceived to be fanatical excess in the behavior of those who participated in the revival. True religion, Chauncey said, was primarily a matter of the mind, not the affections, and was characterized by self-control, cultural sophistication, and strict moral propriety. The plain truth is that an enlightened mind and not raised affections ought always to be the guide of those who call themselves men, and this in the affairs of religion as well as other things. Okay, Mr. Chauncey, appreciate you having an opinion. But your expectations just define for you what you called the filling of the Spirit. And that can't be, that can't be the move of the Spirit there. Because see, it doesn't fit into my box. And see, every one of us have a box. We brought it with us today. Our mind fits in it. Our ideas fit in it. And if somebody introduces something outside of our box, we get challenged by that. Listen, it's not as though Jonathan Edwards wasn't challenged by what was going on either. Jonathan Edwards was a thinking man. So he analyzed the revival that took place because it kind of came and went. It came in the 30s and then it went away and it came again in the 40s and then it diminished in its effect again. And he was left living through that whole era going, what just happened? He asked all kinds of questions. And this was a man who could ask some questions. He analyzed, he criticized portions of the revival. He found problems with some of it. He disagreed with parts of it but he promoted other aspects of it. He wrote two books that came out of that, that era. One of them was uh, The Distinguishing Marks of a, of a Work of the Spirit of God. He wanted to figure out what was it that distinguishes, how do you find the works of the Spirit of God? And the other book he wrote that was probably his greatest work was Religious Affections. See, because what he wanted to figure out was if the Spirit of God comes and touches your life, how are you going to respond I don't know the Spirit of God has saved anybody. That's what he was asking this question. Somebody claims to be saved. There's a revival that's taking place. Somebody claims to be saved. Well, you had men like Chauncey who were coming in and saying, no, no, that's not God. No, that, that's not God. Well, you had men like Jonathan Edwards and Whitfield who were saying, well, well, how do we know? How do we really know whether somebody's been touched by God? And he began to analyze. And he wrote this book called Religious Affections because it was his premise that if God touches you, he will touch all of you. Amen. And so it won't just be some intellectual exercise here. The affections that are every bit as much a part of who you are as your intellect will also be affected by God. Sam Storms, Sam's book called Signs of the Spirit is really an interpretation of religious affections. It's Sam attempting to dumb down uh, Jonathan Edwards into a little bit more readable serving up and a little bit of the history that goes along with what was taking place as well. It's an excellent book. But he says, the sort of religion or spirituality that pleases God is one that consists largely in, this is what Edward said, vigorous and lively actings of the inclination and will of the soul or the fervent exercises of the heart. 
God is displeased with weak, dull, and lifeless inclinations. Nothing is so antithetical to true religion as lukewarmness. Consider those many biblical texts in which our relationship to God is compared to running, wrestling, or agonizing for a great prize or crown, fighting with strong enemies that seek our lives, and warring as those that by violence take a city or a kingdom. See, the, the Bible's very clear. The Bible draws the boundary lines for us. It's very animated. It's got intensity to it. It's got affection in it. It's just not some lab experiment with, with data that we write down passionlessly. Here, if God is God, and He created us, everything about me has a purpose to it. The ability for me to sing, clap, run, write, think, all those things have a have been created for a reason. Now remember, God is the center of creation. So everything spokes off of him. So every ability that I have was, was intended to somehow be absorbed in the glory of God, to be manifest for the glory of God. The chief and best and greatest and all of who I am should be aiming at the glory of God. All that I am. I, I don't know what happened to Christianity when somehow folks like Charles Chauncey created a version of Christianity that doesn't look anything like rivers of living water. The anticipation that Jesus, it's better that I go away. Oh, really? Why? So we just sit around and talk about a few things? Better that you go away, the presence of God come, and what would that look like? Somewhere in Christianity, we have dumbed this thing down to where Christianity is a cerebral meeting where people are just thinking, considering, get too exuberant. You know how those fanatics are. So when I got saved, my parents thought I'd joined a cult. Called them holy rollers. Aren't y'all old enough to remember that phrase? You know, in the country, you went to this church, and then some of those people went on the other side of the tracks to the holy roller church. Why do they call them holy rollers? Because they did stuff, you know. They ran around the church, and they clapped, and they sang real loud. And it's kind of like, ooh, <laughs> you guys need to simmer on down there. What's up with all that? Well, listen, what's up with all that? You, really want, to, you want to know what's up with all that? All right, how many of y'all watched the Saints game the other night? Okay, I'm sure you would just so laid back and just gave great cerebral consideration to the great catch that Mr. Meacham made, right? Great catch stretched out. I turned quietly to my children. Nice catch, right, boys? I, I was a little more enthusiastic than that. And just, you know, to put it in frame of reference, it was a preseason meaningless game of a guy wearing too much plastic catching a piece of leather that flew through the air. I was excited about that. See, because I'm capable of excitement. I'm capable of it. I'm capable of having strong opinions about things. I know none of y'all are. Watch it. I know most of us don't really care about anything. We're just passionless about everything. We don't have a favorite color, favorite team, favorite event, favorite thing to do. We don't have an opinion. And if people cross us, we're just these bowls of jello that, oh, whatever. Sure, whatever. No, we get jazzed up about stuff, don't we? We can really percolate over certain things, can't we? Well, you know, I was made to percolate. I was designed by God to get up out of my chair and be bugged by what you just said. 
you understand? I'm wired for that. The God of the universe made me that way. Now, the question now is, what will be the issues that I will attach those capacities to? Listen, some of you don't want me to go to a Saints game with you. Not because I've, because I've seen you in church. And if you're more capable of getting excited about plastic men running on the field than you are about the glory of God, I'm going to have a big problem with you. I can tell you right now, there's not, there's not a Saints game or an event that I'm going to be dancing and clapping and shouting and singing louder about than the glory of God. Now, if you're capable of getting excited about anything, you ought to be excited about God. Now, we all know that's not the case, though, is it? Because this is church, for goodness sake. Settle down. Settle down. Don't go getting crazy on us now. Save crazy for the stuff that doesn't matter. (laughs) No, the best, the chief, the most awesome expression that I can possess is belonging to God. Listen, why do we sing so much in church? Why do we sing? Well, you know, singing's a strange thing. The Bible's full of it. Why do we sing? Singing's kind of weird, isn't it? See, I can talk, and I kind of talk, I don't know, this kind of quadrant of my brain just kind of talks. But when I sing, it's like it reaches down in here and gets something and mixes it with the words. And it's kind of like, there's something in me singing. Music. Why do we have music? Well, you know, that's the thing about those churches. Just work people up, get their emotions all worked up. Yes! Absolutely. Well, no, that's wrong. Okay, well, you find me where that's wrong. Find me in the Bible where it's wrong for me to get stirred up for the glory of God. Listen, when we sit down and talk, I'm trying to stir you up by my thoughts, by the words that we're having. Listen, the goal of preaching is not so you can sit there and go, is he done? I parked my car today. I don't even remember. That we preach because the word of God is alive and it's supposed to get inside of it and have an impact on our lives. Why do we sing? Because the affections that are in my soul that can't be released simply by words need song. I need hymn and melody and rhythm to reach down like a spoon inside of my soul and stir up the gook on the bottom down there. Stir it up and get it back into my life to where I'm singing about God. That's important. It's been lost in the church way too much. So I go back to my question. What is forming our theology of the ministry of the Holy Spirit? Without a doubt, listen to me, without a doubt, Christianity suffers always from poor theology. Always. Christianity suffers. Your daily experience, your walk with God, your relating to other people, the way you feel about anything, your freedom, your joy, it suffers from poor theology. You want to find the number one problem in people's minds is that they believe wrong and think wrong. If you've got a bad theology of, of man, a doctrine of man, you will constantly be trying to fix the wrong thing. You know, in the world today, the problem is somewhere else besides the idolatrous cravings of my own heart. Right? The Bible's all over that. I am, as Calvin said, I'm, a, I'm an idol factory. <laughs> in me is cravings for the most ridiculous things that I promote to so necessary in my life. And I'm so jazzed up about it because you might be threatening that somehow. And now we're at conflict. You know, all this stuff is because... My doctrine of man is screwed up. I'm trying to fix all the wrong things. The problem is with my own idolatrous heart. 
How many of us struggle with bad theology about the Father? And we just struggle with God's will for my life and His intentions and His sovereignty towards me and whether God really loves me. Let life get difficult. Hit some bumps. Go off the road. Smash something and wonder, how did that happen? How did that happen on God's watch? What are you doing? You're questioning your theology of the Father. How many of us wrestle through issues of condemnation in our lives and, and forgiveness and I've failed in this area and, I, and I've got to work my way out of it? Well, in that moment, you're questioning your theology of the Son. Did the work of the Son of God, was that sufficient for you to be completely forgiven and cleansed of all unrighteousness? Or do you need to do something now? You're going to need to work at that a little bit, put together a hot streak, don't do that again for the next 10 weeks, and then all of a sudden God's okay with you. See, these are theological positions. Now, what happens when we have a poor theology of the Holy Spirit? Your life suffers. Charles Spurgeon says, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. The heathen err from this command by multiplying gods and making this and that image to be the object of their adoration. Their excess runs to gross superstition and idolatry. I fear that sometimes we who profess and call ourselves Christians err in exactly the opposite direction. Instead of worshiping more than God, I fear we worship less than God. This appears when we forget to pay due adoration to the Holy Spirit of God. The true God is triune, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And though there be but one God, yet that one God has manifested himself to us in the trinity of his sacred persons. If then I worship the Father and the Son, but forget or neglect to adore the Holy Spirit, I worship less than God. While the poor heathen in his ignorance goes far beyond and transgresses, I must take care lest I fall short and fail too. What a grievous thing it will be. If we do not pay that loving homage and reverence to the Holy Spirit, which is so justly his due, may it not be the fact that we enjoy less of his power and see less of his working in the world because the church of God has not been sufficiently mindful of him. It is a blessed thing to preach the work of Jesus Christ, but it is an evil thing to omit the work of the Holy Ghost. For the work of the Lord Jesus itself is no blessing to that man who does not know the work of the Holy Spirit. There is the ransom price, but it is only through the Spirit that we know the redemption. There is the precious blood, but it is though the fountain had never been filled unless the Spirit of God lead us with repenting faith to wash therein. Let us not therefore be found neglectful of the work of the divine Spirit lest we incur guilt and inflict upon ourselves serious damage. Now, I, I, I didn't take time to expand on the list that's right below that. The ministries of the Holy Spirit in the Bible would be a long list. I just kind of put them together into a few categories. Now, what I want us to realize is to the, to the degree that we are ignorant, uninformed, unpursuing, and unopen to the ministry of the Holy Spirit, these are the types of categories that we will find weakness in. It's the Holy Spirit's ministry who brings about the new birth. We, we are saved by the life of God. You know what I'm saying? We're dead. We need to be forgiven, but forgiveness is just kind of the Lamb of God who takes away sin, so now life can come. 
We're saved by the life of God. The life of God comes to us by the Holy Spirit. And when he does, he regenerates us and he makes us a new creature. Old things have passed away and I've become a different person. Now there's this this melding of the person of God that touches me and informs me and gets into my gene pool in some unique way. And I'm a new person. See, if I'm informed by this well, then I have a reason to believe that I could have been a, a jerk in some category for 20 years of my life and tomorrow... I can be totally different. Now, if I'm ignorant of that, tomorrow I might believe I've been a jerk for 20 years. Might as well make it 21. I ain't never going to stop this. You know how many people believe more that way? Keith, you have no idea, man. You have no idea what I'm going through. You have no idea about my past. You know, I don't mean to sound trite when people say that to me. But, you know, what you have no idea about is the Spirit of God. That's the issue. Oh, yeah, Jesus did a great work in the past. God created all things. He's sure awesome. But see, none of that's relevant to you because you don't find it in you. And I've been doing this all these years of my life because, you know, my past is this way and I was treated this way and I've had a hard time in this area. And I've done this so many times in a row that I don't think I can change. Well, the one thing you're throwing out the window is being born of the Spirit of God. You are a new creature. Where's the belief in that? See, that's the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. Well, I'm not really aware of that. Well, you will suffer every day as a result. Jesus highlighted the sense of conviction that the Holy Spirit brings. When the, when the Spirit comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. You know how many Christians are suffering? Because they, they won't receive conviction in their life. They want to traffic in some area of sin. They've dressed it up, put a cute outfit on it, and acted like, you know, that's safe. That's okay for me. And the Holy Spirit's saying, no, 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 no. And we've somehow, well, you know, I'm not informed. I don't understand conviction. I'm not aware of the Holy Spirit bringing that to me. So there's a strange sense of no, but there's a strong sense of yes. And I'm going to go with yes. How much better served would your life be if the voice of conviction was filled with awareness in your own soul that that's the spirit of God's presence in you clarifying that's wrong, that's right. This is a path that leads to destruction. This is a path that leads to life. That's the ministry of the Holy Spirit. You're not asked to figure that out just on your own as a Christian. It's the Holy Spirit's presence that does that. Jesus described over and over again how the Spirit was the Spirit of revelation. He's going to lead you into the truth. It's like I've thrown all these ideas out at you, but the Holy Spirit's going to take them. He's going to reveal me to you. He's going to lead you into the truth, the promises of God. He's going to make them clear to you, something that's tangible that you can reach out and touch and grab. Listen, if I'm on a daily basis struggling to overcome my negative belief system that I have, that my, wife's, my life is only going to get worse, my health is going to deteriorate, my relationships are going to fall apart, I'm getting older, and I don't have any sense of belief and faith in the promises of God. Listen, you have a disconnect with the Holy Spirit taking place in that moment because he's the one leading me into the truth. And if I'm standing believing lies, well, somewhere along the way, the minister of the Holy Spirit took this rich word and I'm not receiving of it. It's not functioning well. The empowerment of the Spirit that's throughout the Word of God. That you're going to receive power, the Holy Spirit says. Divine ability. So you know, if you get too familiar with yourself, you start believing I've lived my whole life with this set of tools in my toolbox. This is what I can do. This is how much skill I have. This is how far I'll venture out. 
And you've assessed your whole life based on who you are as a person. Rather than adding in, open the toolbox and add in a little bit of mystery. What might the Holy Spirit do when he got a hold of your limited speaking abilities or your serving abilities or your talent in that area? Or the fact that he might bring to you something you've never ever had, an installation of a gift, kind of like an upgrade that he just brings to you. You lived all this time in your life, you never could do that. All of a sudden, you can. Oh, I've never thought that way. See, we, we create a box. We live in it. The Holy Spirit's ministry could enlarge your life. You could be stepping out in faith in all kinds of categories. But it is the Holy Spirit's ministry that will do that. The mortification of sin. It's a ministry of the Holy Spirit. It's not just your self-determination. It's just not you making up your mind. I'm not doing this anymore. Good, I'm glad you feel that way. But the Bible says that we put to death the deeds of the flesh by the Spirit. Romans chapter 8, verse 13. So overcoming sin is a ministry of the Holy Spirit. If I'm not overcoming sin, then I, I might want to do a little system analysis here and find out where's the ministry of the Spirit in my life? I must understand the Father and who He is in His work. I must understand the Son and who He is in His work. I must understand the Spirit. To take the Spirit and to assign Him to the silent partner in the law firm, and He doesn't say anything. And I'm just paying attention to the will of God, and God the Creator, and God the origin of the universe, and Jesus the Redeemer, and you know, that's where I'm spending all my time, right there. None of that can be real to you in the way it's supposed to be real without the ministry of the Holy Spirit. I've got to pay attention to the Spirit of God. And Jesus draws so much attention to the Spirit of God. So here's the, the backdrop of what Jesus says. The Feast of Tabernacles is occurring. It's the last great day. Some people debate whether it's the seventh day or the eighth day. Most folks believe it's the seventh day. It's the last day of the feast. What would happen every day on the day of the feast? And I think Jeff mentioned this a few weeks ago. The priest would lead a procession. There was all kinds of pomp and circumstance. There was all kinds of, of great processions that took place. It was a week-long festival. And in the morning, every morning, a priest would lead a, a, a processional and he would take a pitcher, right, a couple of quarts worth, and he would go to the pool of Siloam and he would fill it up. And there would be singing and dancing and praises and they would walk back to the temple with this great procession here. They had a, a, a citrus fruit in one hand and a, and a collection of three different types of branches in the other representing the fruitfulness of the promises of God and the wanderings in the wilderness where they collected all these different types of branches. And they're commemorating this in the Feast of Tabernacles. And they go back to the temple. They all gather around and the priest holds up this, this jar just drawn from the Pool of Siloam. And the people wanted to see it being poured out and they'd shout to him, Higher! Higher! And it was a big celebration. And he would pour this out at the base of the uh, altar. Most folks believe it's in that moment where Jesus says, if any man thirst, and his voice rings out. He must have quite a voice. If any man thirst, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me out of his innermost being will flow a shot glass of water or maybe even a pitcher. You love the fact that against the backdrop of a pitcher, about two quarts worth maybe, Jesus said, hey, you think that's something? You guys celebrate that every time you gather and that's great. But you come and you believe in me and out of your innermost being is going to flow rivers of living water. Now what picture is he trying to give us there? It's that picture of the super abundance of God, the bigness of God, 
the, mag- the, the power of God. Let's not, let's not make this thing small. Jesus is trying to get us to lift our gaze to something bigger. There is more. Listen, church, in the realm of the Spirit of God, there is more, much more, much more for me. God, much more for me. I think I have tasted a thimble, honestly. I think I've had a thimble full of the Spirit of God as I see him in the Scriptures, as I see the way Jesus speaks of him. Listen to this thought by Charles Spurgeon. I'm not sure what the Baptist thought of Charles Spurgeon, even though he was Baptist. He says, Beloved brethren, notwithstanding all that the Spirit of God has already done in us, it is very possible that we have missed a large part of the blessing which he is willing to give, for he is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. We have already come to Jesus, and we have drunk of the life-giving stream. Our thirst is quenched, and we are made to live in him. Is this all? Now that we are living in him and rejoicing to do so, have we come to the end of the matter? Assuredly not. We have reached as far as that first exhortation of the master. If any man thirsts, let him come unto me and drink. But do you think that the generality of the church of God have ever advanced to the next? He that believeth on me, as the scripture has said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. I think I am not going beyond the grievous truth if I say that only here and there will you find men and women who have believed up to that point. Would you agree with that? Would you agree that the commonality of the, of the Christian experience doesn't quite get described by Jesus' words of rivers of living water, that there would be few that have come to that point? Spurgeon says, their thirst is quenched, as I have said, and they live, and because Jesus lives, they shall live also. Hot health and vigor they have not. They have life, but they have not life more abundantly. They have little life with which to act upon others. They have no energy welling up and overflowing to go streaming out of them like rivers. They have not thought it possible, perhaps, or thinking it possible... They have not imagined it possible to themselves. Or believing it possible to themselves, they have not aspired to it. But they have stopped short of the fullest blessing. Their wading into the sacred river has contented them, and they know nothing of waters to swim in. Like the Israelites of old, they are slow to to possess all the land of the promise. But sit down when the war has hardly begun. Brothers, let us go in to get of God all that God will give us. Let us set our heart upon this, that we mean to have by God's help all the infinite goodness of God, that God that he is ready to bestow. Let us not be satisfied with the sip that saves. (laughs) This is Charles Spurgeon. The sip that saves. But let us go on to the baptism which buries the flesh and raises us in the likeness of the risen Lord. Even the baptism into the Holy Ghost and into fire which makes us spiritual and sets us all on flame with zeal for the glory of God and eagerness for usefulness by which that glory may be increased among the sons of men. Listen, what I want us to do today is I I just want us to Go back to John chapter 7 with me for just a moment. The band can get ready to come back up. 
I, I just want to lift our expectations today. That's what I want to do. I just want to lift our expectations. And I would be aware in my own life, and I suspect in yours, that, that, that we can get very distracted from seeking, pursuing, being aware of, and sensitive to the ministry of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Sometimes we need messages like this to kind of make us go, oh, I could have had a V8. Yeah, what have I been doing? You're right. I haven't thought about Man, that's so true. I know that's true for many of us. Well, that's why we read the Word of God on a regular basis. That's why we invite the Spirit of God to help us see truths. So maybe that today some of us are just needing to become much more mindful, much more aware. And maybe that some of us here need to be much better informed. We have a poor theology of the Holy Spirit. We actually have a theology of an aversion to the Holy Spirit. Listen, can I just... Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Do you understand the travesty involved in you having an aversion to any of the Godhead. If I were to sit here to say, and, and, and any of us were to stand up and say, you know, I'm, you know I'm, I'm good on God the Father and the Holy Spirit's great. I just got, you know, I just, I'm just uncomfortable with the whole Jesus thing. Right? Christians would go, oh, whoa, time out. I, you can't even be saved and say that, man. What are you talking about? You're uncomfortable with the Jesus thing. How many Christians do you know? Say, you know, you know, I understand salvation and Jesus and the Father. And the, I just, I'm just uncomfortable with the Holy Spirit thing. The Holy Spirit thing? The Holy Spirit thing? You understand you don't have any association with God without the Holy Spirit. You know nothing of Him without the Holy Spirit. You're not saved without the Holy Spirit. You cannot be animated by God without the Holy Spirit. You cannot follow God. You cannot be led into an ounce of truth. You can listen to words, but you can never understand them. The Holy Spirit is all over the life of a Christian. And not just a little bit. Not just a trickle, a shot glass, or even eight ounces. We're talking rivers of living water that are going to flow out of you. So not only do you get satisfied and experience the ministry of the Holy Spirit in your own life, but out of you now comes the pouring of life unto others. Oh, I hope that changes your expectation. I hope whatever it is that I've called the ministry of the Holy Spirit right now is being realized as, wow, okay, I'm feeling like about kindergarten right now. I feel like there's a lot of room to grow. There's much more I want to be open to and pursuing. Well, see, Jesus sets the table here. He says, if any man is thirsty, if any man is thirsty. And that will not describe everybody here this morning, unfortunately. Because not all of us are thirsty. And quite honestly, I've had to wrestle through periods of my own walk with God where I'm not thirsty. I don't have a passion. I don't want more. appreciate the message. That was interesting. But I just as soon go on. I need to go pick something up from the store on the way home. You done? I know the difference between hearing something and then my heart goes, Oh, I am undone, Lord. Where have the days gone where you were my great delight and my joy? And I could not wait to pursue you. And I wanted to step out in faith. And I wanted to minister to people. And I wanted to carry things in my heart that came from you. See, that's a thirst in my life. It's an appetite. It's a craving. If any man's thirsty, Jesus said, if you're not thirsty, you're not coming to drink. If any man is thirsty. Now, I put this warning verse in here for us. Jeremiah chapter 2. God, in amazement, says, be appalled, O heavens, at this. Be shocked, be utterly desolate, declares the Lord. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, 
and have hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. See, the question is not just am I thirsty. My question is, where am I going to drink when I'm thirsty? And I here this morning ready to run hard to God to drink of living waters that he wants to supply to me. Or have I hewed out cisterns? You know, my life is contained in my little pursuits and my little hobbies and my little people, and my little gadgets and my little career. I've got these little broken cisterns and I keep hoping that's going to hold water. Look, can you cut, cut to the chase here? It doesn't hold water. Right? Oh, but, you know, I've got this career thing. No, I haven't been in church, man. I can't tell you how long I am because I've been studying, you know, and I've got my career going on and, and i just got a lot going on, right? I'll be as nice as I can here. You have a collection of broken cisterns. That's what you got. And they'll never hold water. And your life will always feel empty. And you will run hard after those things and they will never affect you until you run for thirst to the living waters that are to well out of your life in such satisfaction and grace. Now he says this, and this is instruction for us. If any man thirsts, let him do two things. Let him come and let him drink. Let him come. I can say it this way, even though God is everywhere present. Let him come find God. Let him go after God. Let him come is about pursuit. It's about you and your heart saying, I will touch the hem of your garment. I will not let go of you until you bless me. That's coming after God. Let him come, but then let him drink. Now, drink is a strange thing because drink is a, a strange combination of active receiving. Right? Sometimes we have this idea that, well, I just want to receive. I just want to receive from God. I just want to receive from God. Okay, well, drinking is an act of receiving, but it involves you actually doing something to receive. You don't create it, but if you don't open your mouth, you, know, you can't drink. You don't swallow, you know, it just pours out. Swallow, swallow, you know. You have to receive from God as well. Now, for those of us who perhaps have encountered God in ways that, well, I know what that is, I'm going to just receive from God. I'm not going to limit receiving from God to, to just a category of gifts, but that is a prominent way of receiving from God. That when the Spirit of God is filling us, there is a receiving that involves drinking and speaking. There's an impartation of faith that can come into our lives. Listen, you could come out of, you could be launched out of this building like a rocket today because the Spirit of God came on you and you had a sense of that thing you've been putting off and scared to death to do. The boldness of God came on you. And you're going to leave this place today with a Holy Spirit-given determination to say, I can do that. I'm calling that person right now when I leave here. I've been timid and afraid. Listen, my question here is, are you thirsty? And if you're not, maybe that's where you need to start. Maybe you need to just confess before God, God, I appreciate the message, but I'm not thirsty. I'm just not. Lord, help me. Have mercy on me. Let's stand up together. Lord, thank you for a more accurate picture of what you anticipated in the day when you would pass the baton, when you looked at your disciples whom you so loved and you cared for their souls. You set before them the kingdom of God and you encouraged them and you demonstrated the kingdom and then you turned around 
and explain to them that it was going to get better. But you would have to leave for that to happen. But it was going to get better. The work in their life would increase. There would be a greater impact than when you were there present. Lord, I can't imagine they could get their minds around that. You use these words. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit, dunamis, dynamite type power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And out of your innermost being is going to flow rivers of living water. Oh God, upgrade our expectations here. Because the Bible clearly says you do want to fill us with your spirit. Lord, what do we think that means? Or this morning, would you enlarge the box of what that means for us? God, we don't want to stand in the poor tradition of others in church history who have naturalized the size of the work of your spirit and made it small and made it fit them. God, we want to be changed. We want an appetite for you. We want to love the work and the impartation of the spirit of God the way we love the redemption of the son of God, the way we love the sovereignty of the father. Spirit of God, you are the nearness of God to us. God, would you awaken our hearts to fresh thirsting and desire for the water that flows from your presence. God, would you turn our gaze and our faith upward towards you? God, would you displace us from these places of complacency and uninterest? God, would you take our hands and pry them off the broken cisterns that we've hewn out in our lives that are taking the place of our pursuit of you? This morning, Lord, you call us. If you're thirsty, come and drink. I want you to do that. I want you, I want you to go ahead and just... Those of you who want to wait on the Lord for a moment, I'm, not, I'm going to let folks leave in a few minutes. But if you're in a place where you're saying, you know, I want to come wait on God. I just want to come wait. Lord, you said, come, I'm coming. I'm going to get out of my chair and I'm going to come forward. I want this day to be remembered in my heart. I want to give you an opportunity, Lord. I'm coming because I am thirsty. And I want to drink of the presence of your spirit. I want a deeper work. God, there's more. There's so much more than where I am right now. And God, I don't want to miss out on it. I want to be able to stand before you and say, God... If you got it, which is what I love to hear people's testimonies say this. They came to a place in their life when they actually received the filling of the Holy Spirit in their life. It was because they came to a point where they said, God, if you got that, I want it. That's what it took. God, if you got more, then we want it. So heed the word of God. Come. Come and ask God. Come and open your heart. Come and receive with activity. Come and tell God what you want. You may have to confess some things. I believe there's some folks here that it's the cisterns that you have hewn out in your own life that have disrupted your hunger for God. It's in the way. Listen, if you don't put those things down, I don't think there's, there's any exchange between you and God this morning. If you've got some issues in your life that that's where you're seeking your sustenance, that's where you're finding your joy, your hope, you've displaced God and you're not drinking from his wells. The first thing you need to say to God is, God, I recognize my hope and my delight is in the wrong place. Lord, I turn my heart again to you. God, I was distracted. Lord, I was wrong. Lord, I was fooled. I was bewitched to go after things that would never satisfy me. Lord, thank you. Thank you today, Lord, for reminding me The river of living water first flows from the rock of my salvation. He gives the spirit. Lord, this morning we want to drink that in. Father, I pray right now in this church. 
Lord, I pray for a, a work of the Spirit. God, I pray for a move of the Spirit. God, I pray that you'd not let us be lethargic. You'd let, not let us be distracted. God, you'd not let us dumb down the ministry of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Oh, Lord, whether that power that you describe needs to come, break us free from temptation and sin and put to death the deeds of the flesh. Or whether we're needing fresh conviction. God, there's some here this morning who haven't heard you say stop in a long time. God, their ears have become dull and the care of warning has been silenced by the noise of this world. Holy Spirit, you bring conviction. Would you do that this morning? Would you call out to some of our hearts that have grown dull and senseless and we're not responding? God, remind us once again, have mercy this morning. God, where we have hidden from you and we've neglected areas that you've called us to change. Lord, this morning, Spirit of God, minister in our lives. Convict us. Oh, Spirit of God, I pray that your ministry of leading us into the truth is happening right now in hearts, in lives. God, promises are becoming tangible. God, they're just right there. They're clear. God, you're making it so clear where we've been believing lies, where we've substituted our own fears for your faithfulness. God, right now, we don't just do this by our mind. We receive from the Holy Spirit the ability to believe God. We receive from the Holy Spirit enlightenment as to the truth of our lives and our need and our future in your hands. God, bring it to life. Bring your word to life by the Holy Spirit, touching it and leading us into the truth. God, I pray right now that your spirit would come as we see in the word of God in a manner that fills hearts. God, I pray that you'd be loosening people from these chains that give us an idea that the ministry of the Spirit is small. It's big, Lord. God, we're not just coming to get a thimbleful this morning. God, we want a river flowing in our lives. God, we want to break open the barriers that have held back your Spirit in our lives. God, we confess our desire to you. Lord, come. Come, Spirit of God. Come, we honor you. We honor you, Spirit of God. You are welcome in this place. You're the object of what we're after because you lead us into the Son. You make known to us the Father. Spirit of God, we need you in our lives. Inform our hearts. We call out to you. Come, fill our lives. Come, transform our lives. Come, rejuvenate our lives. Come, bring the energy and the power that you bring. Animate us once again, God, as we we stir up our souls this morning. God, we don't just go through this in some mental exercise. Spirit of God, reach down deep into us like a spoon and begin to stir up our hearts. Stir up fresh affections for you. God, give us passions. Get us out of the chair. Make us to clap and dance and sing and act like somebody scored a touchdown. The redeeming God has been here and he set us free. Our future is good. God, we have a hope and a home in you. Oh, Lord, stir our hearts. God, as we sing, thank you for the gift of music that gets our hearts involved. God, would you bring to us as we sing, God, fresh affection for you, longing for you, filling of you. Oh, God, minister now. Spirit of God, come. Come be in this place, God. I pray for gifts to be imparted. pray that you'd enable people in this place to bring forth 
powerful ministry into other people's lives. God, I pray for prophetic gifting to come in this place. God, I pray for gifts of faith to come and people to be launched into your purpose. God, I pray for gifts of healing to disrupt the brokenness of our bodies. God, I pray for the gift of tongues that people be able to speak in a prayer language. Lord, that would edify them and build them up. God, come, be in this place. Holy Spirit, be with us.
should always be aware the presence of God has come to reside and dwell in us. And the presence of God is about change and growth and conforming us to the image of His Son. So very accurate for us to say that I am changed in the presence of a holy God. Now what I, I believe the Lord wants change to occur for some simply today, not by willpower of a different thing for you to do in your life, but by you receiving something from Him. Now, here's what I want you to do. I I believe the Lord has informed some folks here, maybe wants to inform some others of what it is He wants you to receive right now from Him. I want you to be aware of that. I think God is drawing your life to something particular. He wants you to receive something particular from him right now. It could be many, many things. There's many of you standing here. But I think you're aware of it. I think many of you who God is speaking this to, you're aware of it. I think what God just wants you to do is I think he wants you to receive it from him. Right? I mean, you can be aware of something on a shelf. You can be aware of living. Well, he wants you to drink it. Receive it. Drinking. It's a picture. Right? It's, it's coming to you. You're aware that it exists, but it's you kind of taking it in. Well, well, take that in right now. If you know what that is, I just want you to just, you don't need to be looking at me. You can just be turning your attention to the Lord. What does God want to give you right now? What does he want you to receive from him? It could be something you can receive instantly right now. It could be a word of faith that frames something in your heart that, that you will begin to walk in. And this is a beginning point that God's beginning a new work in your life. It could be a sense of revelation that God is bringing clarity. You've got a scripture coming to your mind. There's a truth that's going to unhinge an issue in your walk. It could be a habit that's been in your life that God is telling you this morning, those days are over. And that's a word of faith, and you're going to need to agree with it. See, listen, in that area, if God tells you it is so, then you need to receive that from him. There's nothing in the realm of creation that can trump God telling you you're free. Nothing. If God speaks that to your heart, you don't need to argue with him. You need to receive it, though. And if you don't receive it, then all you did was hear something that you didn't drink. So right now, let God give to you this morning. God, thank you that our posture before you is is one of need, Lord. Is one of asking from you. Lord, is one of running to you. Lord, thank you for your eagerness to give to us. Thank you for your patience and mercy. Thank you that you are the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world so that you may baptize us in the Holy Spirit. Lord, I thank you that the rich work of the Son of God by the direction of the Father has postured us this morning to be able to receive from the Spirit of God. So Lord, let there be no condemnation in this altar. We don't merit receiving from you. We don't get to earn something from you today. And our coming forward is not cash that we spend before you right now. We're here to receive, Lord, the objects of your mercy. God, I thank you that your kindness is toward everyone who belongs to you that's standing here. And you want them to receive, Lord. Make it clear, what are they to receive? And give them a heart to open wide now. Open wide. Open your life. Open your mouth if God gives you something to speak. Open your willingness.
thank you that the picture you give us in the word we looked at today is our receiving and then out of our life a flowing. So Lord, I pray that what takes place in days ahead as a result of your spirit drawing our attention, ministering to us today, would be a releasing of the spirit in these lives, Lord, a releasing of the spirit. Lord, yes, that our lives would drink in and receive, but God, that's, that's so that we might be liberated and freed so that from our lives would flow rivers of living water. So God, in days ahead, draw us to places where the river needs to flow. God, to the place where your life needs to come, to people and settings and opportunities where the life-giving Spirit of God will travel from us into those places. God, thank you for this word, for your promise for the largeness of what you say to us about the ministry of your Holy Spirit in us. We do receive today, Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Bless you guys. If you have children in children's ministry, please run and get them.